Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Euros with Football Social Daily. For a fleeting moment, it looked like football was coming home, but instead, football is heading to Rome. The Italians are European champions at the expense of a young English team who undoubtedly have a very bright future. This is Football Social Daily, and on today's show, we dream of what could have been and work out why it didn't quite happen. I'm Jim Salverson, Niall McCorn on today's podcast. How are you doing, Niall? I've been better, Jim. I felt better on a Monday morning, um, to be honest with you. But I'm all right, all things considered. A sore head? No, just, not at all. Or just hurt feelings? No, just the one. I've not been. I've been feeling a little bit under the weather the last couple of days. Nothing uh, COVID related, thankfully. Uh, so I stuck clear of the alcohol last night. I don't feel particularly good. I'm a bit disappointed today about the game, to be honest, but I'm sure we'll come on to it. Well, alongside Niall, definitely a sore head for Marley Anderson coming off the back of a three-day stag do, followed by England in a major <laughs> European final. How are you feeling, Marley? How much can you remember from last night? Uh, yeah, last night I can remember a fair bit. The, the other two days, not as much. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, just, yeah. Bruised pride, bruised ankle. I fell down some stairs on Friday night with a kebab in my hand, so it wasn't wasn't the best of uh, weekends. Did you save the kebab? I, apparently, so I, I well, I didn't know. So basically, I'd ate, I'd ate most of it, and then I, I missed a step uh, going down some steep steps and rolled my ankle. And the lad I was with was like, it was just funny as hell. Like it wasn't Conor McGregor. It wasn't drunk really. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like drunk related. You just missed the step. Like it could have happened at any point, but. It was drunk related, and then uh, some some kebab meat went on the floor, and uh, I got up and went home. And that was uh, that was about it. But yeah, last night was a bit quieter because obviously you've got to get up for work this morning. But yeah, just disappointing. It was coming home for two minutes, and then on, you're almost like waiting for England to concede, and you're thinking it can't be this easy. So oh, it wasn't this easy. It turns out that's the focus of today's podcast is all about that game, England versus Italy. We're just going to focus on exactly what happened, exactly what went wrong, why it didn't come home. And let's start at the start, because I think everyone was 
a little bit shell-shocked by the beginning of the game. A goal within the first five minutes and a goal for Luke Shaw as well, who the odds on him scoring at any point in the game were 33-1 to going into that, by the way. So no one fancied him to get the goal. I, when I saw the team sheet coming out, and we talked about this on Friday's podcast, how we thought Southgate should set up for this one. And I think we kind of universally thought that the four at the back was the way to go. He set up with the five at the back with Kieran Trippier coming in for um, Saka, who was dropped to the bench. Did he get his tactics right from that first 10, 15 minutes, Niall? Did it look like Southgate had picked it? Yeah, I think you have to say yeah, because you score inside two minutes and you take the game to Italy. And I thought England started a little bit nervously, to be honest. Italy, I remember it so clearly. Italy had kickoff and probably passed the ball around for the first minute or so. And then it came to Harry Maguire at the back, who basically passed it straight out for a corner. And I thought, here we go. The nerves are starting to come now. England are going to start to shake. Then the corner dissipated into nothing. And then Harry Kane just raked a great ball over to Trippier. Um, And then the cross was just over Kane's head. And I've seen a few people slag Kane off about his performance last night, when actually, I mean, there's so much more to centre-forward play than scoring goals. The way he actually picked the ball up just on the inside of the centre circle, inside Italy territory, whizzed it out to the far right, and then continued his run through the centre, and Trippier actually waited for Kane to make the run into the middle. In the end, the cross was too high, but there was Shaw at the back post, and 1 minute 57 seconds in, England have got the lead in a European Championship final. It was absolutely euphoric and there is such a thing I think as scoring too soon but I mean if anyone had said early goal in the final you just absolutely take it. I don't think you can blame Southgate's system with the way things went early doors and even the first 45 minutes. Italy did start to grow back into the game maybe the last 10-15 minutes of the first half but I thought the first half England looked accomplished. They didn't look concerned by anything Italy did. Chiesa and Insignia had a few sort of um, pot shots I suppose you could say I thought Chiesa looked very dangerous and determined all night to be honest with you but I thought the first 45 minutes you have to look at the team selection and say Southgate's done it again he's got it right and obviously it didn't transpire that way by the end but I think from what we saw early doors which I guess is what you're asking me Jim I think yeah you can say that that Southgate got it right but getting it right at the start of the game and tinkering and making the right changes at the right time is a part of management that um, that is essential and maybe it's something that Southgate didn't quite get right on this occasion which I'm sure we'll come on to. Scoring too early as Niall says is a bit of a cliche it does get rolled out it was certainly rolled out after the match I think it was Roy Keane he was first to hit the score too early buzzer and came out with that in his post-match analysis Marley is there such a thing as scoring too early in this scenario because I guess what happened to England was they got the goal and then almost spent the next 88 minutes defending that goal to a certain extent. But there's nothing to say that would have been any different if England would have continued to be more offensive if they hadn't got the goal. Yeah, um, I, you know, when the goal went in, you know, I'm thinking, you know, brilliant. You know, we, the hardest thing to do is score against that Italian defence with all the, you know, all the the experience and all the rest of it that they've got, and the world class goalkeeper and and centre backs who know every trick in the book type of thing. So, when it went in, you're thinking, you know, that's the hard thing done. But I mean, I sat there with a few mates and I said, right, who's gonna who's gonna be the one who says, have we scored too early? Because it just affects the it just affects your your outcome. You can't you can't go you can't approach the sa- the game in the same way anymore because you're thinking, you know, do do we defend this or do we you know, try and push on and leave ourselves open at the back or whatever. So, um, it 
It's sort of like a catch twenty two situation because I think we we scored because of our wing backs. Um, you know, Trippier crossed it from one wing and it went too far, but because because Shaw was on the other side and he's got more license to roam. If he was playing like a left back in a back four, he'd have never been in that position. I haven't um, seen him done that much, do that much this Euros because of that, I guess. Have we? we haven't seen those overlapping runs that he did so well this season just gone for United. Yeah, well, well we did in, in the Ukraine game, but that was that was mm. almost like a training game towards the end, wasn't it? Because it was, it was that easy. Um, but yeah, you know, when he came onto it, I'm thinking, well, we've scored because of our wing backs there, and that's that's great. That's you know justified selection. So, but then you know when you when you start with a back five and then you get the lead, you've got nothing to switch to that's more defensive. So you 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 like stuck with the back five, and you're thinking, you know, they've got 88 minutes to work out this this system, um, and if they get a goal, which they did, then you change to the four three three or whatever your four two three one, whatever it was. Um, so yeah, it was like the the tactics worked almost too well because because it, it it happens in, in two minutes and you get the goal and now it's then you're thinking you know oh you know what do we do here do we do we stick or twist should England have gone for the jugular at that point Niall? because as Marley said they kind of they wanted to protect the lead to a certain extent or was it a case of Italy just stopped them going for the jugular that that they stopped England being able to create more despite a desire or despite a a want to do so. Yeah, I mean, you've got to go for the second goal. I understand what Marley's saying about, you know, when you're 1-0 up, you're worrying about whether to pile too many bodies forward just in case you leave yourself open to an equaliser. And then, you know, what happens when teams get momentum, particularly this Italy team, we've seen it a couple of times throughout the Euros, when they do score once, they have a tendency to, to really push on and, and grab the others, which is what we've seen in extra time. I think in the Austria game, Austria did well, they stood firm. Um, went into extra time and then as soon as Italy scored one that was it Austria had cracked and then they went through and scored another I think there's always a danger of that but when you go 1-0 up so early in the game it, it was basically like starting the game with a 1-0 lead and England started the better team and I think they did have opportunities I mean I was crying out for people to have a long shot or two and I know Donnarumma is an excellent goalkeeper which I'm sure we'll come on to when we saw the penalty shootout but deflections anything corners Anything like that. I mean, there are a few moments I thought England could have made more of it. Um, there was a free kick at the end of the first half where Calvin Phillips' delivery was terrible and a couple of times his delivery was terrible. And I just think we didn't make enough of the opportunities we had from set pieces, particularly free kicks into dangerous areas. Trippier was on the pitch. Why is Calvin Phillips taking a free kick? So there are a few question marks there, I think, in terms of whether England could have scored another goal. I definitely think they had enough of the ball, particularly in the first half, to, to get a second goal. Um, whether that would have doubled the pressure with Italy in the second half, coming right back at England and pretty much dominating the whole of extra time as well, bar a five-minute period. I don't know. Should England have gone for the jugular? Well, I think that's what people have been asking to see all tournament. And Gareth Southgate has kind of hushed those people up by winning the games in the way that he's won the games. But I'm sure there'll be plenty of commentators and pundits that will say, well, actually, England, with the talent that they've got, they should really have gone for it a little bit more. Um, the one thing that the Italians do have at the back, like Marley said, is experience. You know, 34-year-old Bonucci, 36-year-old Chiellini. And as old and as wily and as experienced as they are, the amount of pace that England have got in their team that they just simply didn't use. Um, you know, Rashford, will come on to it, I'm sure, but I thought Rashford was thrown under the bus. Come on, run around mm. for 15 seconds and then uh, score us a penalty, mate. It's a very Sancho, strange one of the most Sancho, one of the most creative players in Europe. 
this season. Bags of goals and assists for Dortmund in one of Europe's top five leagues and barely had a look in all tournament. Foden's pretty quick as well. Only played two games in the groups. Didn't really see him after that, bar an occasional bench appearance. Um, So, you know, there's a few question marks to be had. But certainly in terms of could England have gone for a second, I think they could have done and I think they probably should have done as well. But hindsight's a wonderful thing. And, And what I will say on the whole about the final is obviously I'm disappointed, but... I've never really been, I've made no secret of this on the podcast, I've always been club over country. I'd rather Portsmouth win something than England win something. And some people can't understand that, but that's just how I feel. But this is the closest I've felt to the England team since I was a little boy. And I think that that's a testament to them and their character and what they've been able to achieve throughout this tournament. But also, I never want to finish a final thinking what might have been. You always want to finish a final and think... They've left it all out there. I'm proud of them. And I am proud of this England team because they've gone further than any other England team in my lifetime and any other England team for the last 55 years. But there is a nagging feeling at the back of my mind of what might have been. And that's the awful thing. You don't ever want to finish a final thinking what might have been. You want to know that you gave it your all. And I think it's only fair that those criticisms are brought to light. One, because it's kind of a form of therapy after you've lost a final in such fashion. But also perhaps a chance to learn with the World Cup 18 months away and now expectations probably as high as they've ever been for the England team. So certainly a a bit of mixed emotions this morning, just even generally looking back on the game. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think I I said on Friday, I said I wasn't going to be disappointed if England didn't win this final because I was so proud and pleased with the progress made in this tournament. And I kind of stand by that. I don't think it stings as much as it would otherwise. And I think we'll see a new generation of football fans who are much more engaged in their national teams now than they have done previously based on not only the success of this national team and they have done well getting to the final but also the characters that are within it in terms of the game itself and we will get on to the 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 substitutions or the lack of substitutions shortly but did the equaliser marley feel inevitable the more the game went on because england started with a really strong press the team as a whole were pressing on to the Italians there was a lot of running in midfield from the England team as well and the longer it went on the more leggy and tired that midfield began to look and the more the Italians grew into the game I think I saw a stat midway through the second half where the Italians had 78% of the possession or something like that so they dominated possession they dominated chances as well so was it just a, a matter of time before they got the goal yeah uh, it definitely looked like that, you know, when, you know, I was saying to, to my mate who was watching it with like, you can't give 70% of the possession away for, for 40 minutes and not expect to concede. Like at some point, you know, you can have, you can have 10 minute spells of 70% possession and you can survive. But, you know, it was, it was the entire second half until well, I was, it's even some of the first half as well, but mainly the second up, up until they got the goal. Um, and then immediately England changed and and almost had the better of it when it was 1-1 again so it was like you know could could we not have played like that a little bit more been been a bit braver because we we know how good we are in possession now we did you know remember the Denmark game and just nullified that last 10 minutes when they were desperately desperately trying to get the ball and we just simply said you're not having it we're we're gonna keep it for five six minutes and they were that good at it um so yes it's just just a case of what might have been, isn't it? You know, if you, if you did this at this time, but you can't be, you can't expect to to not concede in 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 a whole second half of of just letting them have the ball and just hoping they don't score. Um, 
But having said that, it was still a really scrappy, scruffy, horrible goal to concede. Like, it could have been defended and cleared, you know, stopped two or three separate occasions before Benucci eventually gets it into the, uh, you know, bundles it over the line. But, I mean, Pickford, I thought Pickford did quite well for, for that goal. Um, I, I was, a great little reaction save, wasn't it, onto the post? Yeah, I was immediately, like, critical. You know, when you see it the first time, I thought, oh, what have you done there? How have you let that undeer? But... He, he did wedge it, like, he got down to it so quickly that, like, he, he sort of wedged it, like, he, he, his hand came down onto the ball and it, it didn't move as, as much as he wanted to, he, he couldn't pour it out and scoop it out, um, and then obviously, you know, Kane can't react in, in time to, to block Benucci putting it in on the line, but, so it's disappointing to have that, uh, to concede like that, but it was coming at some point, so, you know, you can't really be too... Uh, surprise when it did happen. In terms of the changes that England made, they were few and far between, particularly in normal time. It was almost as if England were trying to settle for extra time. I thought at one point we saw Saka on for Trippier. That wasn't until the 70th minute. We saw Henderson come on for Rice a little bit later. That was only due to Declan Rice picking up a knock as well. No Grealish until extra time. Do you think, and I know we've said, hindsight's a wonderful thing, Niall, but do you think we wanted to see more Sooner, but there's, I seem to remember Joe Cole saying a few years ago, when you're in that kind of situation, your backs are against the wall in, on an international football, you want a player like Grealish, or he didn't use Grealish as an example, but he said you wanted a player on the pitch that can run at people, can win free kicks and kind of drag the team forward when you're on the back foot. And Grealish might have been that option, I guess. And we didn't see him till midway through extra time. Grealish has been excellent this season and he's almost been the talisman, the sweetheart for England. I mean, I wouldn't say the talisman, that would probably fall to Raheem Sterling, but certainly that person you look to on the bench. But again, where's Jadon Sancho been this tournament? I know he's had this move to Manchester United in the background, which is probably why he didn't play the first two games, but he's been he's played one game and then he played like 30 seconds and was expected to score a penalty. This is a guy with a ridiculous record of goals and assists in the Bundesliga last season. And Grealish is great, but Saka coming on instead of Sancho. I mean, Saka's had a great tournament, but he came on and was ineffective. I thought he just looked off the pace. He looked like a rabbit in the headlights for a little bit, I thought. Henderson came on to replace Rice. I thought the substitution for Henderson, I thought he was poor. I thought the substitutions that Southgate made, whether they were the right ones or not, the players that he brought on just didn't look in the zone enough. Now, maybe that's because they weren't accustomed to the game from the start I'm not so sure in terms of bringing Grealish on if you look at the substitutions Mancini made and I think I'm right in thinking he used all of his substitutions he just kept them coming every 10 minutes there was a new player on the pitch every 10 minutes and he kept it fresh he kept it fresh you know and they even lost I think Insigne or was it Immobile came off and um, Chiesa came off with an injury their two sort of better players came off and they still managed to to kind of really give it to England until pretty much the end. One substitution after a tournament in which England have played seven games, it's been a long season for all these players. You have to question that. You have to question that. And this is the thing. Obviously, the way England lost was disappointing and Southgate has done amazingly well to get England to the final and deserves credit. But that doesn't mean because of what he's achieved, he's immune to criticism in the final. And this is the narrative I don't understand. I've seen a lot of it on social media. Oh, we need to protect these players at all costs. We need to protect Southgate, blah, blah, blah. Of course we do, because they've achieved things that no one's ever achieved in a generation. But that doesn't mean they're just automatically 
shielded from any sort of criticism because of the way they performed and the decisions they made on the biggest stage. So I think that it's important to nuance the fact that England have done exceptionally well in this Euros, but also they are open to a bit of criticism. And my criticism of Southgate would be he got his substitutions wrong. And we've said that about him before. But it's not just Southgate, even though he makes the final decision. And actually, I thought he spoke quite admirably after the game, Southgate in defeat, when discussing A, the what happened in penalties, and just in general, the flow of the game. He said he was too disappointed, really, to shed too much light. But... You know, he's said multiple times this tournament, the buck stops with him. And I yeah. think... And he's very much taken responsibility as well in his post-match interviews. He's kind of, it's very much, yeah. it was my calls, it was my decisions, it's my fault. Yeah, and I think that... Which you'd 100% expect from him, the way he's handled himself. That's what you'd expect him to say. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's admirable that he's done that. But <laughs> I feel like, unfortunately, this is the one time where he could have been a little bit braver. I mean, mm. I understand... In knockout games where if you're out, you're out and you are thinking of what might have been. But you, could, if there's one game in the tournament where you can just free hit and if it goes backwards and England lose convincingly after being battered by Italy, to be fair, then you just go, well, Italy battered us. But at least he gave it a go and brought on Grealish and brought on Sancho and brought on Rashford and actually gave him time to do something. Whereas instead, he just threw them under the bus. Gave them two minutes to run around and expected them to score a penalty in the biggest pressure moment, biggest pressure game of their careers. So, you know, Southgate, admire him and he deserves utmost credit for what he's done. But I do think he got that wrong. Going to talk about the penalties in just a second. One more thing I want to talk about from the game, Marley, is that Italian experience. The gamesmanship, the dark arts, call it what you will. The grabbing players around the collar and holding them to the ground. Now... Do you feel that, because I think certainly with the people I was watching the game with, there was a bit of a a feeling that maybe the referee didn't control the game as much as he could have. There was some debate over whether the shirt pulling should have been a red card. For me, 100% not a red card, but there were some people that thought it was dangerous play. How did you feel about the way the Italians took advantage of that and maybe took advantage of certainly a softer referee than we've seen in the Premier League this season? I I thought all, all things considered, the referee had a, a good game. I liked how he how he did how he let things go. He he was a little bit more lenient um, until the Italians basically started to take the um, and go go a bit too far uh, with their sort of approach, which we knew they would. You know, I think in the preview we said that experience comes hand in hand with a bit of you know you can call it dark dark art. You can call it um, you know cheating, gamesmanship. Uh, Housery, whatever you want. It's that's that's my favourite word for it. So, and then you've seen it, you know, manifested itself perfectly in in the the Chiellini thing where he, he pulled Saka's neck uh, back, which is it's a yellow card. It's it's not it's not a red, is it? It's just it's one of them where. But when a casual fan tuning in sees that, they they think that's a red card, and you know, it's it's one of them things, isn't it? Like it it sort of got everyone on um on the on the sort of hunt for, for Chiellini, like, how's he allowed to do this? Like, my my sister text, texted me um, in, in the family group, and I've never heard her talk about football in my 30 years on this planet, <laughs> and she said, how how can he get away with that? And I said, well, I can exp- I said, I can explain it if you want, but it's a bit football-y, you know, because she's not, not a football fan. And she was like, yeah, can you? Because I, I need to know, it's, it's winding me up. And I was like, basically, there's too much room to go and and score a goal like he, he was out wide people might have tackled him in he wasn't the last man type of thing and she was like all oh, right because you'd get you get simbin for that in rugby and i was like 
yeah, you would, because it was because it would have been a high tackle in rugby. So mm. like it was just one of them little loopholes that they exploited. But they knew that, and every defender in the world would have pulled Saka back if if they had to um, to chase him at the age of thirty seven, chasing a nineteen year old round. It's probably you unfortunate know. that he happened to get hold of his collar rather than his shirt, isn't it? I mean, if that yeah. if he grabs hold of it thirty centimeters further down, then there's yeah. no one calling for that to be a red. Yeah, and I think to be fair, I don't think he went for his neck. I think he's just the height difference between the two is huge. Like it's one <laughs> six foot four, one's five foot eight nine. He slipped under his arm, didn't he? Like what you were saying the other day, Marley. Sacco like got around the side yeah. and like, went. You know, uh, Chiellini yeah. put his arm out and Saka just yeah. ducked underneath it's like, it was like running the gauntlet in gladiators you know when you're a kid and you, you, you duck under like wolf and then rhino comes <laughs> yeah. and like smashes you or whatever it was um it was like it was like that and yeah you know he didn't he didn't mean to get the neck but because he did he made himself public enemy number one but you know keelan he's been like that for 15 20 years now so he's not really bothered so yeah, it's just it's one of them. But they they mastered that, and Benucci Benucci did bits and bobs as well, or came to the fore. And I think Italy ended up with six yellow cards. I don't know how many England ended up with, but just one. Maguire was it just one? Just the one. Yeah, mm-hmm. it tells you everything. Can I just say, Jim? I know we're going to move on in a sec. Jorginho on Jack Grealish was that a red card? Oof. Because he's punctured a hole in his leg. And he's gone in with his studs up and he's got the ball. So you have to say he's got the ball. But so many times now in the modern game, we've seen players get the ball cleanly and with less contact mm. with their studs up and be given red cards. No, for me, I'm gonna, what I'm going to say feels like a bit of a cop out. <laughs> if I'm going to say you've seen him given. It's, it's, it's like you've seen him given, you've seen him not given. And I think the standard of refereeing or the, the, the way games have been refereed in the Premier League this season has maybe given us a slightly distorted view of, I mean, it's something we've forgotten what it was like four years ago. And that's kind of where we went back to with the Euros, I think. And for the most part, that has been a good thing because I think the games have been more fluid. I think the referees have allowed stuff to play. I think VAR has been executed better. That one, you could see, like, it wasn't a, it, it, it wasn't that dangerous, was it? It was more unfortunate. He's put a hole in his he, leg. <laughs> he, kind of, he kind of came over the, he got the ball, but then slid over the top of it. So I, I I don't know. But if he doesn't think... go in with his studs up, Jack Grealish doesn't get hurt. Mm. So I mean I mean I agree with the referees. I think the referees on the whole have been very good, apart from the last two England games where I think they've been below par. I thought the referee last night was better than the referee for the semi final. I thought the referee for the semi final England against Denmark was awful, an awful awful display, masked by the fact that England got through. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that, that in general, some of the referees that we've seen in the Euros um, would do a good job in the Premier League, to be honest with you. And I think maybe it is something that the Premier League needs to consider. Is it worth bringing referees from other countries over to our league? That Why do all the referees have to all be English? I don't understand. What, what is this, some sort of unwritten rule or whatever? Because, you know, why don't we have the best referees from across Europe refereeing in our league? We can afford to pay them more. There should be some sort of like, I don't know, let's call it like a, a super league or something, you know, with the, <laughs> with the best referees <laughs> and the best clubs. <laughs> let's not reopen that particular can of worms. Right, we're going to talk about Pelantes next uh, because it did go to the spot. The game was decided that way. So that's what we'll focus on next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, talking about England versus Italy, the final of the Euro 2020, which obviously went the Italians' way, decided by penalties. The focus, by the way, from here on in, is back to 
the domestic league and you can get the latest domestic news on your team, whoever it is you support in the Premier League at sport-social.co.uk or the podcast from here on in for the next few weeks. We'll be focused on the build-up to next season as well. But let's talk about those spot kicks. You've mentioned it a couple of times now, so I'm going to go and let Marley free on this one. We saw substitutions from Gareth Southgate bringing on Marcus Rashford and Jane Sancho just before the final whistle, which wasn't 100% his fault because he was trying to bring him on for a maybe five-minute period before, but the Italians just refused to let him do it. They were taking their their throw-ins really quickly, weren't letting him make the substitution. So I think ideally he would have liked them to have had more game time before taking their spot kicks. But as it turned out, they had 15 seconds running about. I think their first touch for both of them was the penalty. I mean, that just felt for us watching at home like it was going to go wrong, didn't it? Yeah. Um, well, it, do you know what? The, the penalties were almost like a, an exact replica of the, of the game because it started well, didn't it? You know, Pickford mm. saved um, saved the first one. Was it? Uh, who, who, was it Jorginho? The second the one he saved. Oh, was it the, the first one they scored? Yeah, because yeah, was it Berardi scored the first one? Anyway, it doesn't it doesn't matter, does it? it somebody, when he saved the first one, we scored. To sort of solidify that advantage, it was like, you know, everyone was like stood up waiting for, you know, for it to for it to come home. <laughs> but uh, then, yeah, just I don't know. But it felt felt bad for Pickford to be fair because he, he did well in the penalties, and I did worry about him because, you know, because he's not the biggest goalkeeper, he has to have a, a lot, you know, a big spring um to save anything whereas Donnarumma can fall either way and cover most of the goal at six foot five and he just looks colossal in that goal when you're stepping up so um yeah the pen the penalties with with nobody well I don't know maybe maybe some people did but I certainly didn't have a problem with Rashford and Sancho coming on just to take penalties um as a decision I think that's the right one um to make, you know, Rashford's very good at penalties. I don't mm. don't think I've seen him miss one. What did you take make of his penalty? Because I don't recall him doing that stuttering like he's clearly caught it off Paul Pogba, hasn't he? The little stuttering <laughs> run up that he did when he kind All of right, almost Graham stopped. Soon, linking, uh, linking <laughs> England's Euro defeat to Pogba. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't know that I don't I don't disagree with the technique because. Um, you know that that technique is to wait for the goalkeeper at the last minute, and that worked. However, it requires not looking at the ball when you kick it because you're looking at the goalkeeper, and then you decide in the, at the very last second to which way you're going to go. Because if Donnarumma goes left, you go right, um, and it and it works. But you when you don't look at the ball, you don't guarantee that contact. And I think he just scuffed it a little bit. It came off. Um, you know, he's trying to get it off the very middle of his side foot or or towards his toe, and it came off like the side foot towards the heel, and he sort of scuffed it, and it's you know it's missed by inches, and you know what's well, hit the post, hasn't it? So, a couple of inches either way, and it goes in. Um, so, yeah, the technique is you can you can it's iffy, but it was better than Sancho's, um, and it was better than um, Saka's as well because they were just easy saves for the goalkeeper. Um, they they were nowhere near the corners, um, but I just felt bad for for Saka getting, you know, getting the fifth one. Like he's nineteen year old, he's a shy kid. He's not a you know a brash sort of look at me type of player. Um, and to stick him in for the fifth one, I mean, for me, I mean, I'd probably put Rashford on the fifth one or Kane and 
had one of the whichever one didn't at, at the start, you know, and had them sort of get us off to a good start. And but the order, the order just knackered it really. Um, and Saka, I just, I just felt so bad for him walking up. I thinking, I was thinking, I, I don't fancy him here. I've not seen him take a penalty for Arsenal. Um, fair play for having the stones to step up and do it, but also. You know, could could Sterling not take it with with having way more experience? But then then I said to to my mates like, does Sterling not want to miss that because of the media, because of the 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 crap he would get, you know, off the back of it? Like if he was if he if he missed it, would would has that played into his his psyche at all? And and said no, Gareth, I'd rather not say one unless I have to, you know. I don't know. It's just one of the things. It's all hindsight now, isn't it? But. Even at the time, Saka didn't look like a, the right penalty taker, um, and certainly not the fifth one. I'd, I'd give it to Grealish or, or to Sterling. So, yeah. I mean, Southgate's taken responsibility for the order. He said it was me. I picked it. I decided who was going to take him, and it was based on what we were doing in training. We know the England team have spent a lot of time preparing for penalties, not just the act of taking them, but the kind of the ceremony around it in terms of walking from the centre spot and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, Niall, it it can't just be the manager that makes that decision. There's got to be some input from the players. Some are going to go, I fancy it. Some are going to go, I don't fancy it. So it can't just be a manager's responsibility. But ultimately, I guess he's got to have some kind of oversight on who takes what and who steps up to the spot. For me, it's all Southgate. He chose the order and it was the wrong order. Saka, 19 years old, taking the fifth penalty. Terrible penalty from Sancho. Terrible penalty from Saka. Also, we have to say Donnarumma, who's on his way to PSG, is very, very good at saving penalties. And he's massive. He's one of the best penalty-saving goalkeepers in the world. So, you know, it was always going to be difficult. I think you have to lie the blame at the feet of Southgate. Where was Sterling? Marley's touched upon why he might not have stepped up for one where was he he was talking about coming into this tournament and owning the tournament Wembley being his own backyard he could see the arch from his garden where he grew up you know this was the tournament where he was going to be the one that carried England and he has done he's done brilliantly but when it really came to that final moment where you want your best players taking penalties where was he where was Grealish why was Harry Maguire a centre-back taking the second penalty? He absolutely nailed it, by the way. He broke the camera. He hit it so hard into the top corner, the he, he smashed the camera. Best penalty. <laughs> he, he just mullered it. It was a goal kick, wasn't it? It was like, it was, because it was, it was still rising. It, it'd still be going now if the net wasn't there. He, we pelted and it. This is the thing. I mean, I've spoken about these run-ups a few times, and you can't question the run-up if the ball goes in, but when it doesn't, you're always going to point at that. And... I think players are almost focusing more on the run-up to try and put the goalkeeper off than they are doing their bit, and their bit is putting the ball in the net. Frank Lampard was talking about it on Punditry after the game, saying he never did those those run-ups. He just ran up and blasted it. And Frank Lampard missed a penalty in an FA Cup final once. Thankfully, it didn't matter from a Chelsea perspective. But he didn't really miss many penalties, particularly in pressure situations. Nor did Shearer. They just ran up and belted it. If you kick it hard enough, the keeper can't get that, there. That, that's what happened with Keynes. Kane, like Donnarumma went the right way, but he hit it at sixty mile an hour, so he couldn't he couldn't physically get there. So, which is what I saw Rashford do against PSG for Man United a few seasons ago in that famous Champions League game. We just smacked it into the same corner that Kane went in, and I thought that was what he was going to do. What I will say is that penalty shootout shouldn't and hopefully won't define 
those three players. It definitely won't define Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford's legacy is bigger than hitting the post in a penalty shootout in the Euros final. His legacy is what he's done off the pitch and he's only 23 years old. So he's got at least a decade left of playing football. You'd imagine at the top level and maybe even a few more tournaments with England as well. Missing a penalty against Italy in the Euros final is not going to define Marcus Rashford. The way he stepped up off the field to show leadership in a way that those you'd expect leadership from haven't shown. And some of the contempt towards Rashford saying stick to penalties and not politics. That is just so obnoxious. One of those comments was made by a Tory MP as well, incidentally. Well, I'm not surprised, am I? The least shocking statement of the day. They were shown up. The government was shown up by a young lad who wants better for people in this country. And that is why this England team has captured the hearts and imaginations of so many people in this country, because of the way they've conducted themselves, not just on the pitch, but off it. And talking of off of it, some of the displays we've seen from the England supporters or supposed England supporters has been shocking. Some of the abuse that these three players have received on social media for the colour of their skin, for missing penalties, has been shocking. And yet again, we're in the same situation. After a big game and a big moment, a pressure situation in this sport, we're seeing horrific abuse being directed at people. Sancho has got the world at his feet. That won't define him either. At least it's his responsibility now to step out of that shadow. Beckham kicked out in the World Cup in 98. In 99, he won a treble with Manchester United and became one of the most iconic footballers probably to ever play the game. Not in terms of skill or quality, but in terms of recognisability and you know the level he's on in terms of being an icon of the world game. He's certainly up there. He transformed his misfortune into something more positive. It's now up to Sancho and Saka to do that. Like I say, much like Rashford, Saka has got another four years on Rashford and he's got the option now, the ability now to turn that disappointment into something positive. For me, they're three poor penalties because they all missed the target, particularly Sancho and Saka's feeble penalties. But Southgate has to take the blame for choosing those players to take a penalty, choosing the order. I mean, even so, why not just put Harry Kane fifth? Stepping up to take the fifth penalty, England need to score to stay alive. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things where you can look back and hindsight's a brilliant thing, as you said before, but there are so many questions. And that's the one thing I didn't want to be waking up this morning feeling was, why have I got so many questions about what might have been? You know, I I just think Italy were the better team and probably did deserve to win. You know, heartbreaks almost in England's DNA, isn't it? Penalties, losing it, Euros final. We've seen this film before. We know what happened. I'll be honest, I was less disappointed than I thought I would be. I really was. I just kind of knew it was going to happen. You just kind of, you know, numb yourself to it a little bit. What I would say, though, is the win over Germany, I was more excited about that than any other game throughout the tournament. So despite the fact they've lost on penalties in the final, and there are questions that will undoubtedly be asked for the next 55 years about what happened and why the order was chosen. There'll be documentaries, there'll be Channel 5 talking heads programs about it in a couple of years' time. But... They have given us a journey that many people have felt connected to and they can be proud of that and they will bounce back and they have to bounce back because that is what you need to do as an elite sports person. And I'm sure those three who miss penalties will. All I'd say is if I was Jordan Pickford, I'd be absolutely fuming because he's done everything Mm. he can. He's done his bit. Unlucky to save two and lose a shootout. You'd be fuming as a keeper. You'd be absolutely raging. And I know they're his mates and I know they've been through the mud together 
in this tournament and they've you know they've done what they've had to do to get to this stage. But Pickford saving two penalties in a shootout and your team doesn't win, you'd be fuming as a keeper. You did mention the abuse that some players got there, which we will talk about briefly in a moment, but you could see how much it meant to those players at the end of the pitch. The amount of them were that were devastated. Saka was devastated. Declan Rice had red eyes. They were... They'd given everything and I think they came up short and that really hurt the players. And I think anyone who is posting those abusive comments, whatever level of anger and disappointment persuades someone to go and make comments like that. And I I can't even imagine how you get to that point. But you do not hurt as much as those players hurt on that pitch last night after losing that final. We will talk about the reaction and the behaviour of some England fans next. We're also going to talk about Italy a little bit and we'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back, Football Social Daily. It is the morning after the night that was as England crashed out of the Euros in the final against Italy. It was on penalties. And what we haven't done yet, we've kind of picked the England performance apart, but I think we haven't given the Italians maybe the credit they deserve for winning the European Championships. For me, I think they've probably been the best team throughout the tournament. And if it was any other opposition other than England, I would have been delighted at seeing the Italians lifting that trophy last night because I think they're quite a likeable team in terms of the characters that are on board. I think the fans have approached the tournament in the right way, unlike England fans, as we'll talk about shortly. They've deserved it at the end of this run, this was it 34 games unbeaten for the Italians? Roberto Mancini, he seems like a bloke who's got his act together and he just seems like a nice character as well. So it, it, what I'm trying to say, Marlo, is it's difficult to be too upset. If you're going to lose to someone, you might as well lose to the Italians. Yeah, yeah, you you know, you, if you lose to someone, to be fair, they, they caught the eye early on, didn't they? Um, with the win over Turkey and then everybody was saying, well, what about these lot? And... A lot was made of their thirty odd game uh, unbeaten run, which I thought is the most overhyped stat ever. Because half of those games are against Lithuania and Bulgaria, and it's just not there's not opposition. That's that's one of the loopholes of international football. But you know, you, you still I suppose, I suppose you still got to beat who's in front of you and what have you. But yeah, they, you know, they I'm probably the same as you. If if we went out in the quarters, I would have wanted Italy to win, um, to win the tournament. You know. I've, been there on holiday five or six times. I love the love the country. It's um it's an amazing place and you know, um, yeah they they are quite a likable team. You know, the, you can embrace the uh the, the the um the dark arts and the the gamesmanship a little bit if you're in neutral as well and say yeah I'd have done that in that situation. But just a bit annoying when you see one of your players getting yanked back by his by his um his neck when he's running away from from a near 40 year old centre back so um, it kind of warps it a little bit but yeah I mean considering they didn't qualify for the uh, World Cup in 2018 that is a huge turnaround and that's all Mancini because he's, he's embraced the um, the spirit he's had them back to what they're good at you know the 4-3-3 system I think they were messing around with three at the back and stuff when when he came in um, and picked up the pieces from the previous regime so uh, happy for him he's, he's done well um but you know just disappointing that it had to be England that he beat in the final but I just hoped it would have been sort of the perfect end to Southgate's um sort of journey that 25 years ago he missed a penalty and then 25 years later he could win the same competition at the same uh stadium but on penalties but wasn't to be 
for the Italian story, there's Nella. We talk about the England story and how this journey and this progression of this young team. But for the Italians, Nile, it's a redemption as well for them because since winning in 2006, they've kind of done nothing. And they've, I mean, I remember I heard an Italian journalist describing it as the Italian football has been through hell since they won the 2006 tournament. So it is kind of a. It's 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 been important progress for them as a nation in terms of embracing this slightly new style of football that Mancini's brought in and actually seeing some success on the pitch again from a from a nation that does have a huge legacy in international football. Well, we talk about going to the lowest of the low and Italian football going through hell, not qualifying for the World Cup is the Italian football equivalent of hell. So actually, in terms of what Mancini had to work with from a starting point, it was kind of all in his favour, really. If he failed... There wasn't really too much else to have said other than the fact that this is a bad generation of Italian players. Uh, We've lost our spark. We've lost our mojo. But instead, what Mancini's managed to do is build it back up and take it to a point of which it's a three-year project which has culminated in success. And you can see the unity and the spirit which we spoke about when previewing the final that the Italians have had throughout the tournament. And, you know, players like Spinazzola who got injured midway through the tournament and missed the last two games, the semi-final and the final, the way that they kind of cheered for him after they got through to the final, the way that he was part of the celebrations last night, hopping around on his crutches and smiling with the rest of the team and stuff like that. So, you know, they do have this spirit and unity, which is something that Mancini's sort of had to instill. I mean, what's remarkable is how things can change for you um, in the blink of an eye. So, I thought Chiesa was one of the standout performers for Italy amongst a couple that they've had throughout the tournament. He wasn't even in the squad, I don't think, before the start of the tournament. Or at least he wasn't due to go to the tournament. And he's he's just gone and been an absolute nuisance. Um, so I think that, you know, Mancini, you have to give him credit. You have to give the Italians credit. But, I mean, it's just typical Italy and the mentality that they have to suggest that because they didn't qualify for one World Cup, they've been through hell. I mean, that was their 10th or 11th major tournament final, uh, four World Cups, two Euros now. I mean, to win 50% of the major finals that you're in, that's not bad, is it? I mean, to even get to 10 or 11 um, is is a remarkable achievement. So they are a nation who knows how to win on the tournament stage and not even getting to a World Cup would have been an embarrassing thing for the Italians. And so I suppose the starting point and the expectations were low, which makes this victory for them ever so sweet. Um, so congratulations to Italy. I thought they played very, very well. They dominated England for the majority of the game, probably did deserve to win in the end. And uh, it's the culmination of quite a nice story. And I'm going to side with Marley when he says, you know, it would have been a nicer story for England to kind of finish it in in the way um, that the Italians did, but um, wasn't to be in the end. Um, and you have to congratulate uh, the players and Roberto Mancini on a great tournament. Right, we have to talk about the behaviour of England fans before and after the final whistle. Unfortunately, um, some fans again, embarrassing and shameful on various levels. Before the match, outside the Wembley Stadium, we saw fans with no tickets rushing the barriers, trying to get in. We saw issues throughout London, people wrecking buses, wrecking landmarks, throwing beer in the air. The kind of thing you've come to expect from some England fans. But I guess worse than all of that was the abuse that has been handed out to Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho and Saka as well for their missed penalties. And it is, unfortunately, again, racist abuse. It's really difficult to know what we can say that's new about this. And it's really difficult to know what the FA can do to combat 
this Mali. Other than it's disgusting, there's no place for it in football. And people who are sending those messages and posting those things on social media deserve criminal proceedings taken against them. There just should be no tolerating it, but that's not anything unusual to say because, yet again, we're talking about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, within seconds of um, the final whistle going last night, um, trending on Twitter was Saka's Instagram. Um, and I went to it and it had... Uh, the latest post he had was yesterday and it said, all eyes on tomorrow. Just, a, you know, from Saturday... He posted just a picture of him in training, um, and it had fifteen thousand comments, um, and that's like that's high, but not sort of crazy. Uh, I've just looked at it again, looked at it again, and it's had a hundred and seventy-eight thousand comments, um, and you know you start scrolling, and all I was seeing at first was um, was support, and you know keep your chin up, keep your head up. This this won't define you as we were saying before, really. So. I was thinking, oh, you know, this is more positive than I thought. And then, but then I thought, if I scroll for another two minutes, I'm going to start seeing some some dodgy stuff. Um, and then, sure, lo and behold, somebody commented saying um, the abuse this the the abuse on this post is disgusting. So I thought, oh, I'm I'm nearly at the abuse now. Um, and then I found you scroll down a few more. There's monkey emojis, there's banana emojis, as um, there's all kinds of words being chucked around that I won't say because now I'll have to wear the bleep button out in the, uh, in the in the edit of the podcast with with all the the stuff that was said. Um, but I mean, also as well to be fair, every every everyone, like every one racist or negative comment, there was like seventy or eighty replies calling that person like out for it. But I mean, that doesn't that doesn't solve it. But yeah, I don't know. There, I don't. I don't think there is a cure for 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 this. Um, as I've said before, I mean, we we can all hope to live in a, a non a non racist world and stuff where just stupid stuff like this doesn't happen. But I, I think it's I think it's very far away. I think it's I think the world on the whole is getting more racist um, as we as we move on. You see, in like you see, in like right wing parties get control of of European countries and stuff, and into government in in places and things like that. So it's not, it's being seeded and drip feeded in through that. So, you know, I mean, it's there's never been a time in in the history of mankind where racism hasn't been an issue. So why would we solve it in twenty twenty one like just like that? It's just it it's so hard to to say that you know oh let's let's just all stop doing it oh that's that's fine you could ask every single person you know and every single person would say um you know i would never dream of of writing something like that but you do, you can't meet everyone in the world and there are there are assholes that are going to do that and it's just it's just there and it's 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 just it, there isn't an obvious solution to it because i i think personally like the way to to uh, to stop it is to ignore it, but also that doesn't help the person. Like so, it's a complete catch twenty two. So if you it's like it's like um, if you're getting like bullied or something at school, if, if if you ignore it and not react, it goes away a little bit. Like it it can go away, and it can be a way of solving it. But with with things like this, you can't ignore it because it's in the public eye. So you you can't. You can't have that same thing of just I'm just going to ignore this because you have to have a really thick skin. You have to have the mental health of 
of a warrior to just not let it get to you. And especially as like a 19 year old kid like Saka, it's just, it's not a, it's not a thing. So it's a real sort of catch 22 situation where there's no obvious uh, solution for it, but it's just, it's going to, it's going to drag on for years and years and it's it won't go in my lifetime. I don't think. It's incredibly difficult to get your head around as well because there's so many layers to this in terms of how angry someone has to be to make those comments. The fact that they've spotted the three penalty takers and gone, oh, well, th- this is three black kids. That That's the common factor that I can pick upon. It's, it's just, it kind of boggles your mind a little bit. I mean, Gary Neville made a really interesting point on this this morning. No, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, but he said Boris Johnson needs to take some responsibility for this because Gareth Southgate came out and said, look, the England players will be taking the knee and it's solidarity against racism. And then Boris Johnson's response to that was, well, England fans have a right to boo that. But I can't remember exactly what he said. I'm paraphrasing that horribly, probably. But it pretty much said he failed to condemn people who were booing it. I think that was the stance he took. Um, and so it, that kind of normalises this type of behaviour because you're saying yeah we don't need to support this stand so and, and this is a man who's compared um women wearing burkas to letterboxes i mean the 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 the, the, the tarred brush of racism isn't that far away from him previously so I, I guess he does have to take some responsibility when you've got the leader of a country making statements like that it makes it more and more difficult to stamp out this behaviour Now, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite here because we've spoken about this whole idea of booing taking the knee before on the podcast. And I was quite clear with what I said in terms of the beauty of living in a country like this is that people are able to express their opinions on pretty much everything. Um, And it's very rare that an opinion is either right nor wrong. However, in this instance, having an opinion on whether being racist, there is no opinion. It is simply wrong to discriminate someone because of the colour of their skin. That is wrong. But the reason that the England team are taking the knee was very, very clearly outlined before the tournament by Gareth Southgate and the players. And the reason that they gave as to why they keep taking the knee was nothing to do with political organisations or political viewpoints, despite the fact that that gesture may have been associated with certain political organisations and viewpoints somewhere along the line in the last 12 months. The reason that they take the knee their reason for taking the knee is because they're sick of exactly what's happened. They're sick of people going onto their Instagram pages and writing monkey emojis and banana emojis and writing racist words and singling these players out for the colour of their skin. That's why they're taking the knee. So yes, I agree. When you do have a prime minister that says, you know, Fans have a right to boo the knee. That is a dangerous narrative to say. Now, even though I've just basically said fans should have the right to boo whatever they want, I also feel that as the leader of the country, you do need to choose your words more carefully. And I do think it makes him look a complete and utter hypocrite because of the way that he's dealt with the situation. Unfortunately, politics is far too partisan. It's almost like a team sport. This isn't a sport. This is people's lives, you know, and it gets way more serious than that. And I think that what you need to remember is, you know, it isn't just the fact that, you know, because Marcus Rashford has made the government look a fool, he's an enemy to people. He isn't. He's a gift. He's exactly what politics should have. Someone who is willing to stand up for a community and make a difference. That's what politics is. That's what it should be. That's what being an MP should be. And 
I don't like all of this. I mean, talk about keeping keep politics out of football. These people that say taking the knee, keep politics out of football and all of this. Why is Johnson rocking up to games wearing an England shirt? Why is Johnson decorating 10 Downing Street with flags? England flags. He's the Prime Minister of the UK. Not from no, the Scotland. start of the tournament, we should also point out. He, that no, I know, but I mean, there's so much hypocrisy, Jim, mm. to the point where it's almost like it's just a game to these people to see how popular they can make themselves look. But absolutely, this needs to stop. What I do think needs to happen is people that use these platforms to, you know, spout racist abuse these platforms need to be regulated how many times i mean you can have a blackout on social media you can you know post your support for people who have been racially abused and you can log out of your twitter account for two weeks uh, as a protest do you think twitter cares do you think instagram cares do you think facebook cares they need to do more they need to do something because this is where most of this abuse is being perpetuated through social media and yes racism exists it exists in the pubs and on the streets. Everywhere in this country exists. Marley's right. It's existed from the start of mankind. It's not all of a sudden going to disappear overnight. But the more visible it is, the more dangerous it becomes. Because people think that if they can get away with doing that without punishment, which is the case, then it becomes acceptable. And it isn't acceptable. And the way to show that is by sanctioning changes to the way people operate on social media to the point where they are liable to be fined or prosecuted or something because of the way they've behaved and that isn't happening at the moment and unfortunately we will continue to see this until changes are made by people that are able to facilitate those changes people like me and marley and yourself have tried to facilitate change by blacking out social media boycotting social media it's made no difference the support we're showing is there and it's it's a strong message we've sent but at the same time something more needs to happen something more needs to be done and it's unfortunately up to the powers that be to make those changes a really disappointing end to what has been from football from society and football at the end of this tournament but i think the we finished on a downer but the important thing to take away from the european championships is how well the England team have handled themselves through this tournament. It was a disappointing football result in the end, but this team we should be incredibly proud of and incredibly supportive for, and they are a young team that are full of promise, and we go into Qatar in 18 months' time with every chance of doing incredibly well in that tournament. So if you are disappointed, if you are upset after last night's results, everyone is, but... Let's just not forget the successes and let's not f- forget the achievements of this England team over the last four Sorry, weeks. Sorry, it's uh, interesting. 20 minutes ago, Jack Grealish has put on Twitter that he said he said he wanted to take one and told Southgate. Because um, somebody is... Uh, you know, Rokin, um had a go at Saka um, saying, like, why was Saka picked and not Sterling or Grealish? Grealish has replied to it saying, I wanted to take one. The gaffer has made so many right decisions through this tournament, and he did tonight, but I won't have people say that I didn't want to take a penalty when I said I will. So that kind of sums up what we were saying before about how it was how it was Southgate's choice. It's not helpful, yeah. is it? <laughs> but it is a bit hanging him hanging him out to dry a little bit. But who knows? I mean he might have just he might have been skied every single penalty in training. <laughs> think, yeah, oh, maybe. I'm sure that's something we can discuss another day. That is it for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you very much for listening. Like I say, we're gonna be building up to the Premier League season returning. What, six weeks or something until the first balls are kicked in that? Not long to go. And all the podcasts on Football Social Daily will keep you in the loop for the latest news, the latest transfer.
transfer news. That's going to heat up over the next few weeks as well. So make sure you subscribe, make sure you follow, and you'll get the latest episodes as soon as they're ready. Marley, Niall, nice one, boys. We'll be back on Premier League duty on the next Football Social Daily.